Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a spring chicken, and I love films. As Ralph Waldo Emerson once said... Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. You know, like Elliot did. He left a trail for E.T., that sort of thing. Wow, who knew that Ralph Waldo Emerson was such a Spielberg fan? Who can blame him? He's very good. Every week I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Jamila Jamil, Scroobius Pip, Ed Gamble and Ricky Gervais and January Jones and all sorts. But this week, my very special guest... He's a superstar director, writer, actor, podcaster, and all-round hero, Kevin Smith. Announcement! Last few tickets for the December 19th special end-of-decade live films to be buried with with me and Mr Nish Kumar. Come along. We'll be talking about the films of the decade that meant the most to us. You can join in, bring your own answers to some of the questions, and if you're all very well behaved, at the end of it, we might even do a Muppet sing-along. It's going to be amazing. Get your tickets at the BFI website. And if you do enjoy the show and you want to support it and get more content, please come and join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get all the extra stuff, guest list tickets, recommendations, little videos. Oh, it's magic over there. And one more announcement. As it's Christmas, if you go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash films to be buried with, you can buy merch that says things like, do you worry about death? And, oh, I've forgotten to tell you something. And best of all, troubling boners, worrying wide-ons. Who wouldn't want to give a baby bib that said that? I mean, quite a few people. So, here we go. Kevin Smith. Come on! Fucking Kevin Smith. I got this opportunity to record my podcast with Kevin Smith. He was in London promoting uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And it was a proper... I've not done one of these before where it's like a proper press junket like he was seeing he had a schedule very strict schedule and when I got there I was told by the PR woman she was very strict she said you've got 40 minutes you've got 40 minutes with him and that's it and I thought fucking hell you know this is usually about an hour to an hour and a half I don't know if we can fit it in in 40 minutes and then Kevin Smith came in he was absolutely delightful but you're here he immediately told me a story that basically lasted 17 minutes and the whole way through his story I was thinking fuck we've only got 23 minutes left and I haven't even told him he's dead yet. And um, anyway, as you'll hear, 
we got to 40 minutes. I said, look, we're at 40 minutes. He said, keep going, keep going. And he was so nice. Then we got to like an hour and then the PR woman came in. She looked very angry and he, he went, Leave, let's finish, let's do this. Anyway, with all the pressure of all the time and everything, we managed to get a real, I got 11 of the 12 main questions out and I had such a lovely time with him. Kevin Smith is an inspiration. You know, he made clerks. He was the one that showed you anyone can do this and do it well and just do it with love. God, he's great. Who doesn't love Kevin Smith? Anyway, that's it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 73 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I'm joined today by an actor, a writer, a producer, a comic book math, a director, a universe creator and holder of the keys of a man, a podcaster, a live performer, a hero to me and millions of others. Please welcome to the show, the amazing Kevin Smith. Oh my God, that, that is, that's a hell of a talk up. I'm no way do I live up to that introduction, but I'm so delighted you got the podcaster. I was like, He's not going to leave that podcast. Of course, I'm not leaving that podcast. Do they know me as a podcaster over here? Of course they do. Um, yeah, man. It's it's weird. This trip over, because I was here not too many months ago with Hollywood Babylon, my show I do with Ralph Garman, um, touring. This trip, more than that trip, I've noticed a incredible fervency and like increase in podcast consumption, not just mine, yeah. in general. It seems to have really broken out, which makes sense because you guys still like listen to the radio and listen to music on the radio yeah. and stuff like that. So it's kind of sweet that like, there's not a heck of a lot of talk radio. Like in the States, there's lots of talk radio generally yeah. being political in the world of podcasting. Everybody gets to be their own broadcaster. So I sat down today with a few cats. I normally, I I'm only on my podcast cause I've recorded so fucking many, <laughs> but um, today I got to be on a couple of different podcasts, something I haven't done in a long time. And it was really inspiring and refreshing because you're like, oh, look at your show. Oh, look at your show. Everyone's got their own little king. Podcasting is incredibly punk rock. It's punk rock for those of us that can't play, play instruments, yeah. I think. I like that. Uh, now, you're here to promote Jane Silent Bob Reboot. I'm, I'm here with the reboot. I watched it last night. Here now, is where did you see it, Alan? I'm afraid that I had to watch it on a screener, which I don't like to do. I'd rather watch things on the big screen, and I recommend everyone sees it on the big screen. So my apologies. I don't, I don't apologize. I just wanted to know if you saw it. With, like, I did three screenings last night, the Prince Charles, where we did um, Q&As after each one. And right. I was queuing in until 3.45 in the morning <laughs> after the midnight show. Um, so, and watching the movie, I'm not saying, you should see my movies in a theater. Not at but all. But you should. Nah. You know, look, I watch most of my movies on an iPhone, so I can't tell people what to do. But I will say this. Yeah. The movie is infinitely more enjoyable when you're surrounded by a bunch of like-minded individuals who treat these stories like they're gospel and yeah. part of their own background. Like yeah. the some cats have been with us since Clerks, so that's a 25-year journey, and you're in their DNA at this point. So it's it's quite quite nice. I think that it is uh, in the same category as Martin Scorsese's Silence, The Irishman, and Twin Peaks, The Return, because it is, wow. <laughs> it is a late uh, work of a master, which I think is about 
life and death and what it all means. Yes. And was it worth it? And what was it for? The only thing I object to or question in that is uh, the term master. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a rank amateur, but it is. Jane Sambaugh reboot <clears throat> is a celebration of life because I almost died. Yeah. Um, it's a story about getting older because I'm almost 50. Yeah. Um, and it's a story about starting out because it's got kids in it and stuff like that. Um, and that's just in the story level of it. Then on the meta level of it, his kid, Jason Muse's kid is in it. My kid is in it. Like our wives are in it. My mother's in it at one mm. point sitting next to me dressed like silent Bob, my brother, my sister, like, our entire world, all of our friends, yeah. like, are in there as well. So there's weird meta commentary and stuff. But it, I would absolutely agree. This movie was trying to exist before the heart attack. Like we were working on Jay and Silent Bob reboot before I had the heart attack. Right. But after the heart attack, it was given a lacquer of. Yeah, I've got to sum it all up. Here's why. Because you're absolutely right. You nailed it. When I was making this movie, I referred to it as my cinematic gravestone. Yeah. Because, and my wife was like, that's no way to market a comedy. <laughs> but it, I, when I had the heart attack, and I've told the story often, but when I told the, when I had the heart attack, doctor tells me, like, you got a, you're, you're 100% blockage in the LAD, the artery goes across the front mm -hmm. of your heart. Uh, he's going, it's a heart attack, it's got a name for it. We call it the Widowmaker. And I was like, why? Which is like, I don't know why I had to ask why. Pretty much right there in the name. And he says, well, in it, this type of heart attack, in 80% of the cases where the patient has 100% blockage, the patient always dies. He's going, but you're going to be in the 20% because I'm good at my job. And he went to work and stuff, saving my life, which he, he did, as we can see. But with that information, like you got an 80% chance of yeah. not walking out of this room tonight. Suddenly I was like, oh, this is the closest that I know of that I've ever come. And I'm no mathematician, but like 20% odds of living, I'm yeah. good. I wouldn't play that lottery. You know what I'm saying? So I was sitting there going, I guess it's time to start analyzing. Like, you know, they say your life flashed before your eyes. Well, start the movie early before, you know, it just happens without you and stuff. So I look back at everything my entire life. And I came to this weird, wonderful place of like, you know, I get it now. My whole life I've been pissed, scared to death. Like, you know, anathema to me. Like I, I do anything to avoid it. I wanted to live forever and stuff like that. Just like every human being. Nobody yeah. wants to die. But then I... On the moment, for, I don't know, it's probably maybe the fentanyl that they pump me up full of because they're working on my heart and whatnot. But I reached this place of serenity, of calm, where I was like, oh, I get it. Like, this is what happens. Like, it all has to end. It couldn't go on forever and stuff. So, like, this is like high school. Like, at one point, you finished high school and you left high school. And yeah. you'll leave here and maybe there's something after, maybe there's not. Maybe you're going to be in the box, but it ends. Like, and this is your ending. And it's early because you're 47. But, like... You had a great life. Like, think about it. You had, like, wonderful parents who didn't fuck you up. And more importantly, they didn't fuck you. It was the number one yeah, job of a parent. It's a huge. Don't fuck the baby. Huge positive. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> it allows you to go forward in life, yeah. you know? Um, no, I had sh wonderful shout parents. Shout out to your mom and dad for that. Mom and dad. <laughs> way, to, way to keep it civil, you know, and, and not salacious. I had great brother and sister. Both of them played key roles in my life. My sister introduced me to the idea of creative writing. Found a notebook under her bed, a uh, marble composition notebook, and opened it up, and there's crude drawings of her and her friends uh, in the front cover. And uh, they were leaning around this, like, cellar door, and the book title was, like, The Secrets of the Cellar Door or something like that. I said, what is this? And she goes, I'm writing a book, book a story about me and my friends. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm writing a story about how we find a cellar door and we go on an adventure. 
She's like, it's a book. And I was like, you can't write a book. you got to ask the government. <laughs> she's like, why do you think that? You know, I was all five years old. And I was yeah. like, because the library card has, like, the government stamp, and that's where we get the books. And she's like, anybody can write anything they want. If you ever feel like you want to write, you just write. You ain't got to ask for permission. I'm mm. writing a book. I don't have to ask anybody. And that stuck with me. I like that kind of... Yeah. liberation we're from new jersey and when you grow up in the shadow of something greater than yourself like new york city mm. you know you're always like the also ran and stuff like that you got a bit of a chip on your shoulder to some degree because you're used to being in the shadow of something far greater far larger at least than yourself far more popular and yeah. stuff like that so like i don't know what it would be for over here like if london is the center of the universe like what's new jersey to london Saturn. Saturn? Saturn. Oh, it's like the planet Saturn? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. place is that good? <laughs> Sutton, it would be called? Yeah. Like, what about the Midlands? How do people Oh, feel the Midlands, that? yeah, then that's much further out. So that, but is that like... I'm thinking in terms of... Geographical yeah, But closeness. I know what you mean. You mean... Well, like, it's just like, they get all the hype. And yeah. Everyone's like, oh, London. Saturn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. I mean, at least like other places like Windsor, they got something. We're like, yeah. hey, Windsor, they got something going on. Slough. Ain't nobody talking about slot unless they reference the office. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So when you when you have that, like you grow up in that that mentality, rebellion is in you. And and like this sense of I could do I could do the same thing. Like yeah. I could do that too, just because you're always kind of lesser than that other place and stuff. So my sister taught me that. My brother was my first real audience like he found me funny and i could make him laugh and he didn't laugh at me like yank my pants down be like ah <laughs> like i'd joke around and it would make him laugh and yeah. i wrote something once story about going to visit our relatives and he cracked up he was dying laughing and stuff and i felt so powerful i was like i'm like a wizard man with words yeah. i changed his emotions and stuff like that so i had a great brother and sister i met great friends who helped me go on to make movies and stuff yeah. like jay scott Mosier and stuff uh, because of those movies, I got to meet like a cool lady, great lady who gave me a great kid. Like, you know, I had a career that was very like uniquely mine, one that no one will bother to try to duplicate. So yeah. it'll always be mine forever and stuff. And I was like, well, what more could you ask for? Like you did it all. And, and if you stick around, maybe it's just more of the same. If you're lucky, maybe it all goes away and life gets terrible. Like get while the getting's good. Go out on a high note and stuff. Don't be that guy at the party. At 4 a.m., who's like, hey, man, you got any more beer? Like, fucking go home. Push back to the table. Be grateful. So I reached a place of serenity. I wasn't like, I want to die, man, yeah. man, 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 But I was like, <laughs> you know what? Like, I accept this, and it's fine. Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm curious to see what's next. If there's anything, this feels natural. So I was in this real serene state of like, if it, ha if it ends, it ends. Then I was seized by one giant regret. And the regret was, if I die tonight, Yoga Hosers is the last movie I ever made. Fuck. It said nothing about who I was. It made no business. It's a joke. Oh, man. Like, so I told the doctor, because I knew we were working on Jane Silent Bob reboot, yeah. and that would have been a great movie to die on. Great so I said to the to doctor, die. like, you, Doc, you got to save me, man. i got to make Jane Silent Bob reboot. And he goes, there are better reasons to save your life. So after the heart attack, Jane Silent Bob reboot took on a whole new stature. It wasn't just like, hey, we're going to go back and, and to yeah. our old characters and have fun. Suddenly it was like this. I can't feel the way that I felt with that moment with Yoga Hosers because here's the death of it all. 
My old man uh, had a bad heart. My mom has a bad heart. I got the combination of their bad hearts. Right. Um, I didn't eat healthy and it wasn't healthy my whole life. But my cardiologist was like, that's, that's not just from like eating poorly over the course of a lifetime. That's genetics. He's going, you got your parents' genetics. Mm-hmm. My old man had a heart attack, put him on, you know, on warning. He had a second heart attack and that took him out completely. So my mom's got stents in her heart and she's flatlined on the table during heart surgery. So I'm not saying like I got a withered, wrinkled heart, but like my dad died at age 67. My mom, so far, she's 74 and stuff. What that tells me is I got lucky with the first heart attack. Very lucky, according to every medical professional I've ever met in the last like almost two years. Maybe the second heart attack, I don't get so lucky. And that's out of my reach. Like I could change my lifestyle. Like after the heart attack, I went vegan, used to be happy. Now I'm fucking vegan. (laughs) Um, and you know, lost a bunch of weight and I don't eat animal products, no milk, no meat or anything like that. No cheese. But at the end of the day, I could do all, I I like Runyon Canyon back home in Los Angeles. So I'm Mm -hmm. exercising more, but I can do all the lifestyle changing in the world. Still at the mercy of whatever this fucking ticker is going to do genetics and stuff. So at that point I was like, look, Maybe it comes back. Maybe I do everything I can to keep it away, but it comes back. And now I know what it looks like and stuff. Like, I know we're living on borrowed time. I certainly am. And I, you know, my wife is like, don't say that. That's so macabre. And I'm like, look, I'm just acutely aware of it and stuff. But you're living on borrowed time as well. Act accordingly and stuff. So at that point, Jane Silent Bob reboot became much more. I started calling it my cinematic gravestone. I was like, this movie has to represent everything I ever believed in, yeah. who I am and shit, what I've done, and, and like has to represent my friendships, my family, everything, so that if I'm lying on that table again and I'm that close again, I don't have any regret whatsoever. I'm like, go on. Last movie I made rocked. Like, this is the one to go out on. So it took on this bigger importance yeah. and it became more than just like, Oh, this is a fucking funny sequel to Jane and Bob strike back. It became this like meta affair. That's like the world's biggest Kevin Smith fan film yeah. made by the world's biggest Kevin Smith fan. So death informed the shit out of this movie okay. in a big, it's bad nice. way and made it a better movie for it. Because suddenly when you realize you're living on borrowed time, you don't play so fast and loose. You know, you're not going like, ah, we can do that in the next movie. You spend it all. You leave it all on the ice, man. Like, you play the game like you're trying to save the fucking universe and stuff. That's a good feeling. Like, the the problem is, I did all that. This movie's done. And I was like, now I can die. Yeah. I'm not dying yet. So I got to continue. I know. What a bitch. And I have to continue working. So that means everything I have to do has to have that same That's level. As good as this. As of, not even as good, but as important as like yeah. this project has to say everything about who I ever was and what I believed in and what I stood for. And I'm working on Masters of the Universe right now. And they're like, <laughs> bro, it's Skeletor. You know, it's Orko. We can't yeah. do that with these characters. So you just try to find other ways to manifest like if this is the last one. I'm going to put my all into it. It If anything, death made me try harder. It didn't make me take the job more seriously Mm because I always took filmmaking like super seriously and stuff. But, you know, I I started off my career with like the worst looking movie maybe ever made, right? Like the movie looks like it was shot through a glass of milk and shit. But it connected. People loved it. And the fact that it looked rough 
was part of its fucking charm. If it had been polished, maybe people skip it and shit yeah. like that. So the lesson I learned from my first movie was don't try. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, that's good enough. As an indie filmmaker, that's kind of the ethos you always work under, like good enough. Yeah. Because you can't go for perfection. That's costly and time-consuming. As an indie filmmaker, you got limited means. You can't go for perfection. Yeah. You don't go for, like, it has to match the vision in my head. You go for, you know what? That's good enough. Moving on. Because you got the rest of the movie to yeah. shoot in no fucking time. So for me, I've always worked under, like, that's good enough. And the heart attack changed that, where I was like, it's got to be the best. Like, and, you know, I'm sure people watch Jane Silent Bob reboot and be like, I don't know if it's the best. But I honestly, like, for me, it's my favorite movie of all the ones I've done. But I always say that about the most recent movie because that's how it feels. It's got it's got joy in it. It's got joy in it. Such fucking joy. Yeah. The joy of a motherfucker who's like, yeah. Oh my God! I what a break! Like remember, like uh, Scrooge, the end of Scrooge, yeah, like where <laughs> Bill Murray is being put like he thinks he's gonna die. He's yeah. like, Don't let him burn me, Jimmy! And he finally yeah. comes through the elevator. He goes, "Holy shit! What a break! I'm yeah. alive!" Like all that shit. That's what it felt like. And so I brought that into the movie as well. And it seems to be translating to the audience yeah. and also the story, since it's about Jay finding out he has a long lost daughter. The audience that has grown up with me over the course of 25 years. They've, They've gone on to have families of their yeah. own. So, like, while we're on tour, I look out in the audience and, like, I see mostly people that look like me, my age and shit. But then 25% of the audience, they're sitting next to a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old and yeah. stuff. And then sometimes the kids get up and ask questions. A girl in Atlanta, Chattanooga, got up to ask questions. I was like, how old are you? And she's like 16. I was like, you were cum when we made this movie. <laughs> like, holy shit, man. That's how Jane's on Bob Showing Back, the movie we're sequelizing. That was 18 years ago, and you've only been in this world 16 years. I was like, why do you even know these movies? Yeah. Like, this, these old people must be confusing and baffling to you. And she goes, my dad showed me these movies. I fell in love with these movies because my dad. And I was like, well, your dad, I love him, but he's a terrible parent. Where is he? And she's like, he's right here. And then the parent will stand up and be like, yeah, I, we love the movies. And so we made the kids watch the movies. And then you realize you're getting passed down yeah. like a legacy, like uh, – when I was a kid, my old man knew I loved comedy, and he gave me, like, George Carlin albums. Yeah. And he would be like, don't tell your mother. Like, this is for you. Just keep it on low and stuff. He passed that down to me. George Carlin was such an important part of my life that not only did I listen to all his work and love him as an artist, yeah. I aggregated toward working with the man, like, in real life. That's how important it was. you got to be careful as a parent. The stupid shit you say and give to your kids, you have no idea what kind of impact that yeah. kind of has. So... Yeah, I have to tell you, and I should have told you at the beginning, and now I think you'll take it as a good thing, uh, but uh, I forgot to tell you at the beginning. I should have, basically, you have, you have died. You've died. You I'm dead. Died. So this is me talking about... So wh how did you die in the end? How, what was your, your dream death? I'll tell you what, man. I'll take another one of them heart attacks. Really? Yeah, because there was no pain to it whatsoever. Shut up. Really? It wasn't. No, by the worst feeling I can report was I couldn't catch my breath. That's as right. uncomfortable it was. And at one point, I, I threw up, but nothing chunky, just bile. And I rarely ever throw up in life. So that was the worst it ever got. I was I sweated a lot, but I, back then I was heavier. I sweated yeah. when I breathed, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> didn't notice. And I always, my whole life, heard about these people who had heart attacks just mm. dropped dead in the middle of a restaurant and stuff. And I'm like, how do you not know that's coming? If something like yeah. that is coming, how do you not know it's coming? I didn't know mine was a heart attack because yeah. it manifested differently. It just felt like can't quite catch my breath. And so all the way through the process and they rolled me into the, uh, to the 
emergency room and they saved my life that one time, not like mm-hmm. now where I'm dead. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, thank you. They, uh, it's your you know, dream death. <laughs> they, uh, it was my, that's my dream death. Yeah. A heart attack, a second one, like the first one. I'm telling you, it was so not painful. Right. That I was like, give me another one of them, man. Fuck, that was easy. You know, they always depict the heart attack in a movie yeah, as like somebody clutching their arm and like mm. knocking furniture down and shit. This, I just couldn't quite catch my breath. And now I understand how a heart attack sneaks, yeah. sneaks up on a motherfucker. It did not occur to me as a heart attack. It occurred to me as, oh, I just can't catch my breath, which I tied into weed. I'm like, oh, I'm just really stoned. Like, I smoked too much weed today. That's all the problem. So, yeah, my, my dad. It was like a white say. It was like pulling a whitey where you smoke too much weed in your... Yes. So, right. Yeah. That's what a heart attack part, is. The, well, no. That's why I was trying the nearest thing I could think of. Because when I smoke weed, I don't get out of breath. But I was like, well, breathing, lungs. Uh, what did you do last to have to do with your lungs? I smoked weed right before the show. So it's got to be a weed thing or something okay. like that. And even though I never felt that before in my life. So then uh, the second heart attack when I was 98. Okay. Yeah. And you'd made how many more films? And they were all fucking bangers. Um, that, well, Cop Out 2 really didn't work. You know, <laughs> I like I, that you tried. I wanted to go back you to went the for well it. and just fucking show them something beautiful. Like, you missed it the first time. But no, <laughs> they were right the first time. Uh, but other than that, yeah, there was, a, there was a good run of them, man. Like, I'm delighted that we got to Clerks 9. Oh, me too. Like, because I love Dante Randall. Apparently, so did the audience. Yeah. Um, so you've died. You've gone to heaven. Yes. Good news. Thank, you like this heaven. Thank the Lord, man. Yeah. Well, I've, recently, well, let me think back. When I was doing that Jane Silent Bob reboot roadshow tour back yeah. when I was alive, I described it like because it followed the heart attack by like a year and a half. We started that tour. And mm-hmm. So, so I, I described it when I was on the tour as, oh, I think I did die in the emergency room. And this must be heaven because in heaven... Every night we watch my movie in a packed movie theater and the audience gets every fucking joke. So for a long time, I was like, oh, this this is death. But then I had to start thinking about it like this. If I'm dead and this is my heaven and this audience is packed every night, is this their hell? (laughs) You know, like, where's their heaven? Do they all get to have their own They're just massive Kevin Smith fans. This is their heaven. You know what? You just solved it. Oh yeah. my god, that is brilliant. Yeah. Like, we're all here because our heaven, our idea of heaven was listening to you every night. The same stale <laughs> same fucking stuff. jokes. Let's do it. So the, it was, it was bliss. I loved that tour. He said in the past tense mm-hmm. for that very reason. You know, as a stoner, you let your mind go a lot of places. So I let my mind go to a place where I was like, I did die, and this is heaven. This is like live action yeah. Jacob's Ladder. You know, at the end of this, they zip up a body bag, yeah. and I realize I've been dead the whole time. You're in the Happy Jacob's Ladder. Now, Jacob's Ladder. you died, you went to heaven. People are obsessed with your work, but they're also obsessed with film, and what they want to know is about your life through film. And the first question they ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing? The, uh, the Gumball Rally. Now, wait, let's, let's narrow it down. First yes, film I remember seeing in, say, a movie theater setting? You're cool. I'd like, if, you, if you remember both. I d- well, I, I remember for a fact these are the first two movies that I remember seeing in movie theaters. Um, and both of them were at a drive-in. 
Oh, wow. My first two motion picture experiences were on drive-in screens that I can recall. Number one was the Gumball Rally, which was a car race movie. Yeah. Um, uh, it was based, I think, a real incident. Later on, Burt Reynolds did the Cannonball Run yeah. series of movies. It was kind of similar to that, but this was first. It was before that. Oh, right. Before it. And I think, if I remember correctly, was it Peter Fonda in it? I forget who's in it. No, okay. not Peter Fonda. But the idea is they're racing across the, you know, they're just doing the race for the, for the hell of it, okay. you know, and the ra- and the gumball rally is you get a gumball machine at the end, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, so I remember that movie. The next movie I remember seeing in a movie theater, <clears throat> not a movie theater, but on the big screen of the drive-in, was Jaws. Oh, shit. That's why Jaws shows up in, like, so much of what I do. Right down to Tusk. If you remember that movie I made long yeah. before I died, called Tusk. Yeah. Um, there was it certainly didn't take place near an ocean or anything like that. There were no sharks, but Jaws really like marinated that movie for me, as well as my old man who was a huge fan of the sea. Okay. Yeah, like he was not a sailor. I think he wished he was and stuff. We lived right near water, and at one point he did buy a boat for us, like a real cheap boat that every once in a while we'd take out and go fishing and stuff. But he loved the sea. And so I kind of infused Tusk with, like, his love of the maritime. Tell me this. A drive-in, which we don't have and I've never experienced. And <coughs> They've never had to... that here. Or, I'm sorry. Or they never not... had that back in Yeah, not in my England when lifetime. people were alive. Yeah. Do you go, did you go as a family, all of you in it? Yeah, in you, a because you can fit as many people in the fucking car as you can because you're only paying one price. Right. So and then the sound's like, coming through the radio. The sound? No, that came later. And okay. that's what it does now. You know, Bluetooth, they got that technology. Um Back there for those people on Earth who are still alive. Yeah. Um, back when I was a kid in the 70s, you pulled your car up to this metal post, yeah. and it had a speaker box with a string on it. And then you took the speaker box, and you hung it on your window. You had to roll your window down a little bit, and it hooked onto your window. And so you were listening to a mono track wow. of the movie while watching it outside uh, you know, under the stars. Yeah. And I, I still don't know what the appeal was. <laughs> You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like I always wanted to, and the more I think about it, the more I think it sounds stupid. Yeah, it's, it's not the best yeah. way to watch a movie. Now, uh, places like uh, the Alamo Draft House yep. in the United States, uh, Tim League, who created that, he did this thing uh, called the, the, what was it, the Rolling Roadshow Tour or something yeah. like that, um, where they would go to locations where the movies shot, like Devil's Tower, you know, for Close Encounters, yeah. and show Close Encounters. Oh. That is worthy of an outdoor screening. Yes. If you're watching a movie where the thing that's in the movie is right behind you, that's pretty dope. They did a screening of Jaws on a lake in the water where oh, everybody yeah. was on inner yeah. tubes. And then uh, they would have people like coming up under them, scuba masks, and like scaring them. Like that kind of stuff is – that I can get my head around. Let's go outside for the movie. Yeah. But the drive-in, while very romantic and a part of my childhood, as a person who loves movies, I'm like, you know, this is the equivalent today cat. of like – you know, I watched it on my iPhone. Yeah, like, yeah. What? That's no way to see the movie. Uh, what is the film that made you cry the most? Are you a crier? I'm a huge crier. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you can go online to YouTube and see old videos of me from, uh, you know, long before I died. Um, uh, crying over watching the season finale of The Flash, the TV show. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah I, and I like, I, like, bawling, like, ugly crying. And the internet, like, rather than be like, you fucking jerk, like, really embraced it. Where they were like, I know the feeling, bro. I brought a lot of people out of the closet with that clip who were just like, I'm the same way, man. Barry Allen does it for me. And I, you know, I take this shit seriously. And I, you know, I'm a middle-aged stoner, which means that everything fucking touches me. (laughs) So, like, I, I, I don't. 
I remember being younger, I'd get like a lump in my throat, choked yeah. up, as they say. But then, you know, you try to keep it cool because fucking crying, you don't do that unless you're in pain or fucking, you know, you're hurt or something. And the, la- the older I got, I just started being like, what the fuck? Am I-? Like, A, I'm married. B, I've, I've had a few jobs. Like, yeah. who am I trying to impress? Like, fucking, don't be a tough guy. You know, fucking, yeah. it feels better to let out something cathartic about crying. Yeah. Like, I feel bad for people that don't yeah. get it out on a regular basis, man. I, and generally, my crying's not like, oh, life sucks. It's always fucking tears of joy or sentimentality or nostalgia or I'm touched by something. Like, see, so even a fucking commercial sometimes, well executed. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, there's that, what's that dance show where the two guys, like, meet at the in the garden and have this dance? I watched it online. It's a British show. And, like, it's, they learn a dance separately. Right. And then how they meet is they perform the dance in tandem. Oh, wow. That's the first time they see each other. It's like one of the most beautiful things in the world. <laughs> and they have these two dudes dancing with each other. And you're like rolling tears because you're like, oh, my God, the beauty. Now, I don't know if everyone feels that way. But like me, I, I, I lean into the tears. So which was the movie that made me cry the most? Mm. Not the. All right. Well, while I work up to the most, I'll let me throw out the ones that I remember made me cry hard. Okay. Feel the dreams. Fuck yeah. When Ray Kinsella says, Dad. Yeah. Want to have a catch? And his voice cracks just a little bit. I'll pay you over and over again to hurt me like that. <laughs> oh, Phil Alden Robinson. What a brilliant fucking moment in that movie. Yeah. Hold off. Um, what else makes me cry? Endgame made me cry. Yeah. All Like a Baby. Saw that many times this summer in the movie theater. And I've watched it many since uh, uh, on uh, home video. And Tony Stark giving his life. Spoilers. Um, even before that, uh, Peter Parker coming back. Yeah. And like going, oh my God, like uh, it, it was like we were, and then Dr. Strange just doing the sparkly things. And you're watching Robert Downey Jr. just be swept away with emotion and give him this like hug out of nowhere. It still like, like chokes me up and stuff. Um, but what was the granddaddy of them all? What was the movie that always makes me cry? Terms of Endearment is a pretty, that'll do it. Pretty tough movie to not cry through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, I'll be honest. Snoopy Come Home was tough when I was a yeah. kid. Um, but then it gets jubilant at the end because Snoopy leaves Charlie Brown. And you're like, what? This is fucking yeah. unthinkable. And then he goes to find his own his old owner who had donated him to the Daisy Hill Puppy Farm, a girl named Lila. And he goes on this whole adventure. And when he gets to Lila's place, there's a no dogs allowed sign. So he can't live there. And so he gets to go. Sorry, this is my mic. I was so passionate about this. Yeah, yeah. He gets to go home, home to Charlie Brown. Which, what you want as a viewer, but at the same time, he's always shitty to Charlie Brown and stuff. So it's confusing as a child. But anyway, I get very emotional watching that. Um, I can get incredibly emotional watching movies that are not meant to be emotional um, and cry like at things that just kind of hit me on a personal level. All right, let me do my old top five movies. Jaws, no tears. JFK, no tears. Man for All Seasons used to make me cry quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Schofield's performance is amazing. And as a young Catholic, I was like, this motherfucker got railroaded. Sir Richard Rich lied. Otherwise, Thomas More still be alive. He's the smartest motherfucker in the room. They had to get him on a lie, goddammit. <laughs> so I would get emotional and stuff. Yeah. Um, Jaws, JFK, I never cried at that. Do the Right Thing, I love that movie, but I yeah. don't cry at that. Jerry Maguire yeah. is definitely an emotional movie for me. Um, because I went through my own like Jerry Maguire experience later in life, mm. like at one point. There, there are a bunch, man. Okay, obviously. I'll take I'll take Times of Endearment. There you go. 
What is the film that scared you the most? What, I, still, look, I'm dead right now. And if I think about the two little girls holding hands in the hallway in, in the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, it's still the moment that I got to close my eyes for, yeah. like, even now in death. The whole movie is wonderfully crafted, unsettling and stuff. But, you know, as a kid, I was scared of everything. You know, I've aged out of it in terms of, like, as a, I've seen it so many times, I know what's going to happen and stuff, so nothing gets scary anymore except for those two little girls. Once you see him start trucking around the hallways yeah. on that rug and shit like that, I start getting a queasy <laughs> feeling in my stomach and shit because you know sooner or later he's going to turn around that corner and boom, that note's going to hit. You're yeah. going to see those two girls and they're going to creepily say, come play with us, Danny. <laughs> and then you're going to see them butchered in flash yeah. frames. That's the most horrifying moment I've ever seen in a movie, so I guess i got to give it up for the whole flick. Sure. Yeah, I'll take it. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, what is the film that people don't like critically most people don't like it but you're like you're all idiots this feels brilliant it feels like everything i like is usually kind of <laughs> in that category yeah except for like thankfully i've had those marvel movies and you know i, I seem to be in the general large yeah. consensus yeah, yeah, yeah. of everybody else it's nice to be have some company once in a while <laughs> oh we all like this oh okay, yeah, go, go, go. yeah yeah totally um oh, oh here man it's rather self-serving but i'm dead so it doesn't matter go on. i love jersey girl and I love Jersey Girl. Everyone like tagged it and beat it up. I mean, look, I'll do you one better. Fuck Jersey Girl. I just look. I tagged it myself. I love Yoga Hosers. Okay. Everybody, everybody hated that movie. Like even longtime supporters were like, "No, Kevin, no, just no." And you know, with Mallrats, like it came out and flopped, but then ten oh, years right. later, found an audience and stuff. Jersey Girl flopped, and people derided it, but now it's got an audience where people are like, "No, it's a sweet movie." Yoga hosers, I don't know if it'll ever get But it audience. saved your life. That's the film that kept you from dying. Yoga hosers? Yeah. How? Because you were on the table and you thought, I can't die now because that You're was my last one. absolutely right. It was, a, it was an ambitious if driving factor. Been, and then you had the heart attack, you might be dead now because you wouldn't have kept fighting. Well, I'd, I'd be dead. I am dead now. Right, yeah. But I would have been dead a lot earlier. Yeah. That's, you know what? Never thought about that way. I got to put yoga hosers in a special place. It already is a special place in my heart, but it's like, this is the movie that saved my life for a while until I died. As we know, we're dead. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, a film you used to love? You loved it for years, and then you've, you've gone back to it recently, and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this no more. 
for whatever reason. Well, I'm 49. Well, no. I was a long time ago. I was 49. Yeah. When I was 49. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I remember getting to a place of like, as much as I love Jaws, I probably don't need to watch it again for a few years. That's fair. <clears throat> and not because I'm like, it's terrible. It's just. You've done it. How many times, you know, can you do it? Now, like when it comes to my wife, I could do it a lot. But when it comes to the movie. <laughs> I even had a little, I had a ceiling with Jaws where it's like, not like I'll never watch it again, but it's yeah. like, you know, I'll, let me give it some time so up. I can surprise myself with it and stuff yeah. like that. The first one that happened to me with back in the land of the living many years ago was a rewatch of Clash of the Titans, the original one, not yeah. that remake that they had done and not the five not the other Harry remakes. the Harry Hamlin one. The Harry Hamlin oh, one, okay. exactly. So I remember loving it. Bubo the Owl and stuff, Harry Howes and effects and... Like, you know, uh, Zeus was kind of a prick, you yeah. know, and Sir Lawrence Olivier, Maggie Smithson. He's got this all-star cast and whatnot. And the Kraken. Yeah. And the there's nudity, a little bit of nudity. And I was a young man, so mm -hmm. it's like, if you can see some ditty as well, like, oh, everything about this movie is amazing and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it came out in like 80, 81, I think. Well, so yeah. I'd be like 10 or 11. Um, I tried to rewatch it circa 2000 and... 2000 or 2001, because I made jokes about it in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. There's a joke where uh, we we kind of removed the setup for it, but in the closing of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, characters are coming out of the movie theater and talking. When Dante and Randall comes out, they come out of the movie theater after seeing uh, Blunt Man and Chronic, the movie. Mm -hmm. Randall says, uh, now that was worse than Clash of the Titans. <laughs> because there was a whole scene that I wrote where Randall was like, I just watched Clash of the Titans, and it basically just echoed my yeah. thoughts. When I rewatched Clash of the Titans, I was like, I can't fucking wait, man. And then 20 minutes in, I was oh, like, no. ooh. It's a horrible film. I don't think I'm going to make it, man. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> That's happened only me. one other time. I loved a TV show back in the 80s called Bosom Buddies that Tom Hanks was on. It was yeah. Tom Hanks' breakout show. Absolutely loved it. Thought it was brilliant. Uh, years later, when I first got married to my wife, Jen, um, who's still alive, yeah. go figure. Yeah, yeah. 100 and fucking nine, still kicking. Um, and got remarried, son of a bitch. To who? To I, You know what? I do, but I don't want to give him any publicity. <laughs> Fuck him. He took my wife after I died, son of a bitch. Okay. Smart guy. But in any event. How late we was the gap after you died? About three days. That was the really disappointing yeah, yeah, part. Yeah. You know, I'm relatively sure they the weren't. The wedding was three. It was three days after he died as well. So yes, it was and, very suspicious. Yeah, and that heart attack didn't necessarily have to happen. Like, <laughs> yeah. Somebody should do an autopsy. But you know, everyone's happy. We'll yeah. move on. So um, I sat her down, and they came out with the first season or two on a box set, and I was like, "You have to watch this. Is the show that made me who I am today." This is Tom Hanks at his <laughs> damn best. We're going to watch Bosom Buddies. We got through three episodes uh, before even I was like, I I guess I remember it different. Uh, you know, some stuff just doesn't age well. Uh, what is the film? I don't know if you, oh, I hope, I'm sure you've got lots of answers for this, but give me one, which is the film that means the most to you. Not necessarily because the film's any good, it might not be, but the memory you associate with seeing that film, something special about it, like it was the first date. Or the day you got a job or something like that. We're always going, that's the film that makes me think of that. Uh, whenever Nobody ever talks about this movie. Uh, but Richard Linklater, years ago, 1998, while we were shooting Dogma in Pittsburgh, he released a movie called The Newton Boys. Oh, yeah. A Western. Yeah. Jennifer, my, my ex-wife, who's now married to that son of a bitch. <laughs> um, when I met her, 
she interviewed me. She was a journalist, mm-hmm. uh, and she worked for USA Today. And so we had, uh, you know, she, a great interview, sit-down interview, where the interview went for an hour, and then afterwards I just sat around interviewing her for like two hours, and she apparently had free time because she indulged me and stuff like that. And I didn't even think it was the interview. I, I was staying at a hotel in Los Angeles, and um, the publicists um, on what was it, Dogma were like, uh, they want to interview this uh, USA Today journalist wants to interview you um, about the movies, about the forthcoming movie, about Good Will Hunting, which I was a co-executive producer on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I said, all right. And I'd met USA Today journalists, and they all looked like my mom. They were older and stuff. And so Chris Rock was over the hotel room because we were rehearsing for Dogma, and that's why I was in Los Angeles. He was working on the Lethal Weapon movie, and Joel Silver wouldn't release him. Like, he was supposed to release him to join our movie at a certain date, but their movie went over and stuff. Mm. So I had to go out to L.A. and rehearse with them out in L.A. And so Chris was leaving. He's like, what are you going to do now? I was like, oh, I got an interview coming up in like an hour or something. He's like, where? He's like, they're coming here to the hotel. He's like, all right. So he left. An hour later... There's a knock at the door. I open the door and see the most beautiful woman in the world. Uh, gorgeous, young, my age, maybe younger or something like that. Like I was 28 at the time. And so that would make her like 26 or 27. And I, for a moment, when I first laid eyes on the woman who would be my wife and give birth to my child, I thought that Chris Rock had sent me a hooker to my hotel room. Cause I was like, this does not look like a USA today journalist. Hello. How are you? So, what, is it? what was the original question? <laughs> What's the film that? Uh, okay, remember? so yeah, yeah. so we uh, there's three more parts before I get to okay. why the movie's important. So, you know, during the interview, she was like, you, you know, I was talking about my message board, and she goes, "You don't answer all those questions yourself, do you?" And I said, "Yeah, all the time. I spend a lot of time on the message board. I like hanging out with the fan base, mm-hmm. and like they like the movies, so I like them and stuff." She goes, "I'm going to put something on that message board and see if you do answer." And I said, "Go ahead," and she did eventually. And I did answer, and then her email address was attached to it. So I emailed her. I was like, see? Then we started emailing back and forth. Then we moved it to a telephone, and she was in L.A., and I was in Pittsburgh. So we started this kind of like getting to know each other, talking to like until the wee hours in the morning. Then the Independent Spirit Awards were happening um, for, for uh, 1998, and they were being given for the 1997 releases. Chasing Amy was up for a couple of awards. And uh, Miramax was like, you got to go out to the Spirit Awards. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm, I'm getting ready for Dogma. We're like one week out from shooting. I'm like, I don't go on an award. I don't give a shit about awards and stuff. And they're like, you have to go. I was like, why? And they're like, because you're winning one. I was like, how do you know that? And they're like, they told us to make sure that you're there. And I'm like, this whole system's corrupt. So I went. And before I went, I talked to Jen. And I was like, uh, are you covering the Spirit Awards? Because she had covered the Oscars mm-hmm. that year the Golden Globes, all the awards and stuff. And she goes, no, we don't cover the Spirit Awards. I said, oh, that's a bummer. She goes, why? And I was like, because I was coming out there to go to the Spirit Awards. And she was like, well, I'll go with you if you want. I was like, yeah, it don't have to be a date. It'll just be like, I just don't know anybody in L.A. I lied. I absolutely lied. I knew a lot of people in L.A. <laughs> I knew everyone. I knew everybody. So I, she, I flew out, met her there um, at the tail end of the red carpet and stuff. I was dead last. And then I found her. And then we went inside. And I sat next to her for like 10 minutes. But then I went up to present an award. Then uh, I went backstage. And then all of a sudden I won an award. And then I had to go backstage to do all the interviews and yeah. stuff. So I didn't see her for the whole day. And then at the end of the evening, finally caught up with her again and stuff. And I was supposed to get on a plane that night. But I had a few hours. So I was like, 
Uh, she goes, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I, I'm too dressed. I had a suit jacket and yeah, I yeah. like this and jeans and stuff. I'd rather put on my shorts and stuff. I want to get in comfortable clothes. Can we go to your house and I can get changed? She's like, you're not coming to my house. And I was like, I'm, I'm just getting changed for clothes. So we go to her house and stuff and I get changed. Then we go out to eat, have a great dinner. And then we're walking home to her place and having great conversations. It's like when you fall in love with the person mm-hmm. before you realize it and stuff. So we go back to her apartment and we wind up starting to make out. But I'm supposed to get on a plane to go home that night. Back, not home, but to Pittsburgh where we're making dogma. So, you know, at a certain point I was like, look, I'm supposed to be on a plane, but I don't want to go. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, I'm I'm expecting anything Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But, like, I'll just sit here and make out with you all night because this is amazing. Like, you're so out of my league and stuff. So we wound up, like, having sex that night for the first time. Uh, Seven times. And then I went, (laughs) that was braggy. And then I went uh, back to Pittsburgh and at one point, like we were making dogma and then Jennifer was like, it was around her birthday and she was like, I'm going to New York with my friends for my birthday and stuff. So I'm going to you know, be out there. Are you going to be near New York? I was like, no, we're in Pittsburgh. And she was like, oh, all right, maybe I can stop by with my friends. I said, please do. Then she was like, my friends aren't going. So, you know, I'm probably not going to go. I was like, well, you can come out. You can hang out here, man, in Pittsburgh and stuff. Just you, you don't need your friends. Like we yeah. know each other now pretty intimately. She's like, all right. So she comes out to Pittsburgh, and we're shooting the uh, scene outside the abortion clinic in Dogma mm-hmm. that night. So we go to like four in the morning and stuff. Um, I meet her, uh, bring her, meet every, introduce everybody on set, and then she goes and hangs out in my trailer. I had a full set of Twin Peaks there on VHS, so she started watching Twin Peaks, but she'd never seen and stuff. And I was like, "Good choice, classy girl." Then we went home that morning, like you know, wrapped at five in the morning, went back to the hotel, had sex. Went to sleep, had sex, and then we were going out. That's nine, nine times. Nine times in the span of like, no, well, the first seven were like that was like a month prior. Okay, so so that was this. It was ninth time, but like only the second time of the trip. <laughs> so um, we were uh, went to get something to eat, and uh, she was like, "What do you want to do here?" And because I was off, it was the weekend. I said, "Richard Linklater got a new movie out called The Newton Boys. You want to go see it?" And she was like, "Yeah, let's go." So we went to this multiplex in Pittsburgh, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's closed down. And we watched the Newton Boys, and during the Newton Boys was the first time that she told me that she loved me. That's great. And I just as quickly said it back to her. So I've never seen the Newton Boys again since that yeah. day. No viewing of the Newton Boys will ever hold up to that yeah. first fucking viewing. And I can't tell you what happened in the movie. Because the whole time I was just thinking about like, oh my God, I fell in love. But she said it first, cha-ching. She then remarried after I died. Richard Linkler, fuck's sake. Yeah, she liked the Newton boys a lot more than I did, yeah, apparently. She had a out. different experience with it. But what? good for them, I guess, right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't mean, have it, had a movie a nice career circle. if not for Richard Linklater. I saw Slacker that made me want to be yep. a filmmaker. So the least I could do is not bitch when he stole my wife in death. And he did wait until you died at 98. He's, he's Texas polite. He, <laughs> uh, now, look, we've done 45 going. minutes. Are you sure? Totally. Promise? Yeah, I'm dead. we got all oh, the yeah, time okay. in the world. Uh, all right, then. I'm glad we got to because we're here. What's the sexiest film you ever saw? Sexiest film. I'm tempted to say still to this day. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with it. Eight and a half weeks. Nine and a half nine weeks. Nine and a half weeks. <laughs> I took a week off. <laughs> he rested on the ninth. <laughs> In my version... 
She figures out in eight and a half weeks, rather than nine and a half weeks, like, fuck Mickey work and leaves. Um, I remember. She's smart, I mean, she like, does. She's yeah. a, Kim Basinger just a week smarter, my version of the movie. Nine and a half weeks was a, it's a very a sexy Adrian Lyon movie. Yeah. Um, Adrian Lyon responsible for other sexy Inde- movies. Indecent like, Proposal. Indecent Proposal. Unfaithful. Unfaithful. Um, Flashdance. No, that's not him, is it? Yeah, I believe Adrian so. Adrian Lyon did Flashdance? Yeah. Did he do Fatal Attraction as well? Yes. That's his biggie, right? Yeah. The one that everybody used to know. Although nobody really talks about that movie anymore. Fatal Attraction. Well, here in heaven, at least. Yeah. I ran into Glenn Close the other day. She Even did, she didn't talk she about didn't Fatal Attraction. She mentioned it once. Yeah, she talked about Jagged Edge more than she talked about <laughs> Fatal Attraction. Go fucking figure, man. So in any event, nine and a half weeks. Aside from it's just kind of sexy and they're mm-hmm. making out about a food and shit. And I was a fat kid, so I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh. To kiss a girl and eat food at the same time yeah. is amazing. Um, but it was also a movie that, like, you know, you could pop in, hanging out with a girl, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, you want to watch Nine and a Half Weeks? And what is it about? Well, it's about, like, people having an affairs. It's kind of sexy. Is it porn? No, it's not porn. So, And it's just sexy enough to get somebody's motor running, and you yeah. wind up making out and stuff. So that became, like, a, a social lubricant nice. of a different kind. Um, in a couple relationships of mine. Nice. There's a girl named Betsy. I won't do the last name to spare her dignity and stuff. But we watched that movie and like 45 minutes into it. Bam, bam, bam. You're in the fridge. Yeah. yeah we, so to speak. <laughs> uh, there is a subcategory to this question. Sometimes I don't, I'm awkward asking people. I think you'll be fine with it. Probably. The subcategory is uh, troubling boners, worrying wide ones. The film that you found arousing that you thought perhaps you shouldn't made you slightly like I don't know if that was alright it'd be weird to say Finding Nemo right it would be a great answer <laughs> it's not really not bad what what's fucking turned me on that you were like I mean I'm just trying to think of a movie that's turned me on that's not pornography mm-hmm. since nine and a half weeks and you know <laughs> calling pornography a movie is a real fucking stretch they mm-hmm. rarely have the three act structure you know? no it's well, all about they meet they do they come I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> They've got the original three-act structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, uh, since I'm dead, mm. and when you're dead, you don't have to answer to living anymore, I'm mm. tempted to make a joke, you know, and point out all manner of movies that would yeah. not make one hard. Yeah. Just for irony. But... Chitty, chitty, bang, bang, etc. I mean, that's a what a poll that was. I was going to go for Schindler's List. But no. <laughs> <laughs> See, Chitty, Chitty, Bang, Bang was the yeah. right answer. But yeah, I can't think of a single movie that gave me an inappropriate maybe or you don't, one. Maybe you don't have shame. Maybe you're, you've got a healthy sexual... It's uh, not healthy. It's just thing. maybe I fucking jerked off so much that by the time I watched a movie, I was shooting dust. There was nothing left. I need to take Viagra to get hard at, at that point. Uh, what is... Objectively, yeah. the greatest film ever made. <sighs> Might not be your favorite, but you go, that's the pinnacle of cinema, that one. Citizen King. All right. Still holds. I mean, yeah. I know it's kind of like for a while in the 90s, it was the standard go to answer, but. No, it's people don't amazing. say it. Don't say it enough anymore. It, it's, it, I mean, I know people don't tend to fuck with it now because it's black and white and it's old timey and shit. Nobody no, like of the current generation knows who Orson Welles is and stuff, but. It is absolutely brilliant. And when you think about where it was made and when it was made in yeah. film history, he he really set in motion a lot of camera movements, a lot of shots, composition that still are at play today. And people don't even realize yeah. 
Um, Wells was, a, and he was a kid, bro. And I also love that movie and identify with it because I did not make Citizen Kane, but my quote unquote Citizen Kane yeah. was Clerks, a black and white movie that for the rest of my life, I would be compared to yeah. everything I ever did would be compared to Clerks, particularly yeah. Clerks was this insane fucking once in a lifetime magic trick. Yeah. And so making movies after that, you know, you can make better quality. You can like make story more enriching. It could be a better movie overall, but that discovery factor for clerks, yeah. like it haunted me my whole life, not in a bad way, but I was yeah. always measured against my earliest first success. And so was Orson Welles. Yeah. And there's something about clerks that isn't you can't, exactly what you said about it. It's aesthetic and, and, and because it had to be and all those things that you can't do again exactly. because you then have money and you then have... Yeah, and then you know, people will be like, like, you know what? You had no means back yeah, then. Yeah, so doesn't... what are you doing now? It's true. And I, that's probably why, like, I, through most of my career, I was always so, like, lazy to the point where I was like, well, clerks work, so it don't yeah, matter yeah. if it looks bad and shit. And that you're right. Sooner or later, the audience goes, hey, it was cute when you were poor. <laughs> but I know this movie's got a couple million bucks behind yeah, it. Well, put this shit in focus, would you? <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Uh, what is the film you most relate to? It changes. It changed mm. throughout my life, right? So, like, I do remember at one point really identifying with Jerry Maguire when I was doing the Red State tour. We took mm. Red State to Sundance, and I just, first we told people, we're going to auction it off. And everybody, like, came for the auction and shit, and then, like, we auctioned it to ourselves for 20 bucks. And I was like, I'd never sell this movie, man. We're taking it out on the road by ourselves. Indie film ain't dead, man. We're just going to bring it back, and we don't need no studios or marketing money and shit. And, like, tried to start a mini-revolution, which mm. was certainly worked in my world and stuff. So because of that, mm. I related to Jerry Maguire because Jerry Maguire kind of, like, in a moment of, you know, like, I... I woke up and I felt something. It was yeah. time to be more honest with myself or whatever. And wrote, you know, the things we think, but do not say, if yeah. I remember correctly, That's right. that I had that kind of not meltdown moment, but the idea of like, I'm at a different place, uh, crossroads in my career. And I don't want to do the standard. I want to do something different. And let's be honest and blah, blah, mm. blah. And I remember watching Jerry Maguire after, the red state stuff happened. Yeah. And I started crying at a certain point. Uh, when he turns to like, he's looking at the little boy at one point when he's in bed, I, I probably fucking cry doing it now, even though I'm dead. These are dead tears. <laughs> um, when he turns and he looks at the goldfish and he goes, it was a mission statement. Like you just feel fucking yeah. so bad for the guy. He's like yeah. his whole fucking life. He wouldn't be in this position where he has to make a choice. Like, do I want to be with this family? I love this kid. Do I love her? Is the kid's mother enough and stuff like that? Like, it all comes down to that moment. And he fucking realizes it. And it's just, like, so regretful. I I start, I'm still, I'm, I'm getting upset now. I was bawling when I watched it. My wife was like, what happened? And I was like, I fucking Jerry Maguire'd my career. <laughs> I had no idea that's what I was doing. She was like, well, it worked out for him. I was like, he's Tom Cruise, of course. And Cameron Crowe was writing for him. Was, of course it's going to work out. What was I thinking? So, yeah, oddly enough, Jerry Maguire, a movie I completely identified with in life, even though the particulars of his life and story didn't match mine at all. Yeah. But that moment of I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to try to be the real me. What does he say in the movie? Like the 
the me, the, the me I always wanted to be. Oh, I love that movie. I'm going to watch that, that tonight after my own. I don't like to be negative, but quickly, it's the no. worst film. Worst film that I ever saw when I was alive? I think it's safe to say now, The Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. The one that Steven Spielberg produced. Man, yeah. that was this is the only movie I ever walked out of in my life. Yeah. Um, at first, I, went, I, I was like so bored that I was like, fuck, I'll go grab popcorn. And then when I was at the popcorn stand, I was like, you I don't, don't even, have to go back. Yeah, like you don't have to go back into that room. You don't need this popcorn. Just leave. And I left and stuff. So I still don't know what happened at the end of the movie. And it's, it's ironic because I'm a huge John Goodman fan. Yeah. And I worked with him in Red State. But I never told him in life. Wow. I ran into him up here in heaven. Yeah. Because um, everyone loves John Goodman in heaven. Yeah. He was in heaven long before any of us and stuff, even though he was still on earth. Uh, and I confessed that I did not like it. And he said neither did he. Fair enough. There it is. Last one I will ask you on this is what is the film that made you laugh the most? Might not be the funniest, but the one that you remember the laughing the most. Um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was a kid. Um, and I'm not saying, like, that's why I laughed. But, yeah, like, yeah. this was at a time when the world was not as small as it is now. Mm-hmm. So, like, if something happens over here on TV or in movies, we know about it instantly yeah. in America. And we look for it. Like, this was at a time where... If you knew Monty Python, you were cool. It played on PBS like late on a Saturday or Sunday and stuff. And there were these funny British dudes with funny accents. And they talked about stuff that you understood 50% of it. Not understood their accents, but understood their references (laughs) and stuff because it was all set someplace else. It made you smarter, like watching Monty Python, if you were an American. I don't know if people would say that here, but like... (laughs) It educated you about a land that you had no contact with yeah. whatsoever. So when Holy Grail, when I discovered Holy Grail on, it was a VHS when video stores first started mm-hmm. opening up and whatnot, that was a pass along discovery movie. It was currency in your world because you could be like, did you ever see Monty Python and Holy Grail? Like, what's that? Like, oh, and you give it to somebody like a gift and then pass it on like a virus, man. Like, now that's what yeah, we do yeah. on the internet 24-7. Yeah. But this was the real-world version of a viral movie. Yeah. Like, I'm going to hand it to you because you're going to love this, and you're going to hand it to other people and stuff. So Monty Python and the Holy Grail, still, to this day, I can, like, do word-for-word dialogue from it and stuff. And as a kid, it made me cry hysterically, and it made me smarter. For example, there's just one of the dopey scenes where... Arthur is talking about, you know, uh, the lady in the lake. He's talking about Excalibur. He's like, the lady in the lake, her arm uh, clad in shivering semi, held aloft Excalibur and declared me king of England. And then Michael Palin's like, listen, strange women lying in ponds distributed as swords is no system for a basis of government. Supreme executive power is derived by a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. And Arthur's like, be quiet. He's like... You can't expect to rule supreme executive power just because a moistened bink lobbed a scimitar at you and shit. All of that, you have to get smart to understand. Yeah. You have to find out what Semite is. You have to find out what a scimitar is. You have to find out what a lot of things th- these things are. So it made you laugh just because their delivery was pitch perfect. Then made you laugh even more once you figured out what these words were. And at the same time, you were getting smarter. If the educational system had any brains whatsoever... They just would have programmed Monty Python in schools yeah, because yeah. you had to smart up to get that shit. Love it. Yeah. Kevin Smith, 
When you died at 98 of the second heart attack, yes. uh, three days before your wife married Richard Linklater, <laughs> yeah. surely on the basis of the Newton boys. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that like that was a coincidence. I don't uh, think they were okay. planning it. Sure. Uh, so when you died yeah. and uh, you, you were in a room, you died painless, uh, but you'd been smoking weed and you didn't uh, exhale. Yes. So when we found your body, it was much bigger than we'd expected, right? Fair enough. I got a coffin for you, but it was the size you were when you had exhaled. You'd held it all in, so your body was a bit stuffed, stuffed you in this coffin. Right. There's no room in there. There's only enough room to slide one DVD in the side for you to take to the other side. On the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show the people on the other side? My first answer, I want it to be Avengers Endgame, but bunch of people might be like i didn't see the previous 20 movies <laughs> a lot of people asking questions for it so who is me, he yeah, yeah. I, that's well that would be good you make friends you're yeah. like him that's ant-man <laughs> yeah. you know he knows the wasp and stuff so that might be like why does he keep getting bigger okay because he has the ability to go up or down thanks to pim particles <laughs> what are those <laughs> uh go to the internet what's that um let me see if it's not endgame which is a rather recent movie anyway my, my old five favorite movies when people are like, what's your favorite movie? Yeah. Jaws, JFK, Do the Right Thing, The Last Temptation of Christ, oh, and wait, what's the one I'm forgetting? Man Jaws. for All Seasons? Yes, Man for All Seasons. Ooh, we nailed it. I would put a Man for All Seasons in my box. Number one, that sounds dirty that I meant it. Number <laughs> one, nobody knows this movie anymore. Yeah. It won a fucking Academy Award. Best Picture of 1969. Mm-hmm. Paul Schofield, best actor. It's got Robert Shaw, who played Quentin and Jaws, in what is perhaps his second best performance, yeah. playing Henry the fucking eighth, in a tour de force performance. It's based on the Tom, no, the Robert Bolt play. And they, you know, uh, who, who was Fred Zinneman made the film. <clears throat> they adapted the play, left off like in the play. Uh, the common man or, or would speak to the audience right. per, per, periodically as a narrator of sorts. The movie they did just did away with that. Um, it tells a story of British history, oddly enough. We're here in England and stuff. That's not why I chose it. I love this movie because it's about a man who has to make a decision um, which is more important, what he believes in or his one and only life. Um, and I love that movie. I was a Catholic school kid. Mm. And Thomas More was like my favorite saint. My confirmation name was Thomas because of that. Because he was so fucking smart. At least as portrayed in the movie and stuff. I never met him in real life. But he was a lawyer and he did write Utopia, which yeah. is pretty brilliant work and stuff. And not only is it a brilliant work, that word exists in our in our lexicon because he invented it. So um, Thomas More was not only a brilliant man, brilliant legal mind. He was fucking shrewd and stuff. His portrayal in the movie and in the play... He is trying to walk the thinnest line possible so as to not get killed, but so as to not betray who he is. And he has this wonderful line in the movie where he talks about, he's talking to his daughter, Meg. You know, everyone's trying to convince him to sign the act of succession. And he says, don't you understand, when a man takes an oath, he holds himself in his hands like water. And if he opens his fingers, he cannot hope to find himself again. That movie built my moral center. I'm the person I am today. Because of it. And if you like dialogue, it is like pornography for a dialogue lover. Nothing, you know, really mm-hmm. visually interesting going on. There's no chase sequence. There's no big third act. Like, and I then pulled. there's this tube of garbage in the sky that they all got to fight. Yeah. It ends in court. Like, with a long court case where they lie about this motherfucker. 
and get them, I could only get them online. This was one of the only movies I ever saw in my life that I was interacted with. Like right. yelling at the screen, like, you fuckers, you had to lie to kill the man. He was too smart. He fucking, like, had them at every given turn. And Sir Richard Rich, that piece of shit who did it for fucking whales, it profits a man nothing to give his soul for the whole world, but for whales. And he sold out on fucking Thomas More. So Thomas More gets convicted. They're going to tell him he's getting his fucking head cut off. And so he says, this is so fucking awesome. This is like one of the best endings in movie history. He goes, uh, they're about to deliver sentence, the judges. And he goes, my lords, when I was practicing law, you know, it was the, it was the common uh, courtesy to let the, the um, guilty speak before pronouncing sentence. Um, or they said, it was the, to ask the, the, the prisoner if they had anything to say. And so the judge is like, do you have anything to say? And he goes, yes. And everybody fucking sits down and he stands up and he makes everybody eat shit in the most eloquent fucking way and tells them one by one, like, you all wanted me on the thing that I never fucking said and you lied about me to get it and shit. So now that it's done, now that I'm fucking dead and you have your will of me, here are my thoughts on the fucking marriage. And everyone goes ape shit, because this was the guy who used to be the Lord Chancellor and whatnot. And Henry don't even intervene and try to save his life. And then the very last scene of the movie is him getting his fucking head cut off, which you don't see. They kneel him down, and he says, uh, and for a young Catholic kid and shit, it was so inspiring. He said his final words were, um, I leave this world his majesty's good servant, but God's first. I'm not even fucking religious anymore, and that still gets me. Like, I don't believe in any of that shit. But, oh my God, could you imagine the courage of conviction that you got? To leave your entire family behind and shit just because you're like, this is who I am. There's another story that's people always point to. They're like, well, if you like that, you must love the crucible. Yeah. And I don't love the crucible because the crucible about is about a guy who's like, give me back my name. You can't take my name. It's personal. It's all about like him. Mm. This guy, Thomas More's journey, is all about his devotion to something far larger than himself. You could live your life like that. That's why I take it with me. There's no point in showing people in heaven we're all fucking dead. But if people on earth could live their life that way, with that much mm. conviction, the world would be a much better place. Maybe more hostile, too, because everyone's like standing in <laughs> yeah. the ground and shit, taking their square. But yeah. still, oh, I love him. He's a rock star, Thomas More. And Paul Schofield's performance was amazing. So that's what I stick in my casket. Uh, well, they're going to have a lovely time. The people in heaven. And, they're going to uh, like it. Actually, they're going to be like, why didn't you bring Endgame? <laughs> no one's brought Endgame. <laughs> Did anyone bring Endgame? God damn it. I thought you people had I thought I didn't bring it because I thought someone else was going to bring it. All That's all right. Like, it made a billion dollars. <laughs> We're still waiting. Scorsese at the back. I've got it. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you're not going to see it. You know what? It's not. <laughs> uh, Kevin Smith, you've given me more time than I was allowed with you. I'm very grateful for that. Oh, I was delighted. Uh, you're thank the you best so much for having me. Die with, yeah, what a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. And go and see uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot because yeah. it is cracking. It does crack. It? Yeah, thank you very much. So that was episode 73. Ah, oh, wasn't that a good one? Come on, Kevin Smith. What a treat. I love him. I mean, a real inspiration. And the guy, I love him. Love him. Anyway, is that clear? I think it's clear. Thank you to Katie Sharp Watson and Chris Boyd for making this happen with Kevin Smith. Uh, remember to get your tickets for the BFI 
end of decade films we buried with live special with Mr. Nishkuma, December 19th. Also, head to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for all the extra stuff. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the photography. Join me next week where my special guest will be comedian, actor, writer, funny man, brilliant man, Mr. Fergus Craig. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.